Welcome to the Spiritual Life Management Podcast, where we help you bring balance in your life and live to your fullest potential with your host, Gretchen Smith. Welcome listeners. Thank you for joining me today. I always believe in divine timing and today's guest is joining us with perfect timing. We really need him on the show today. Dr. Moss, also known as the Undoctor, is here today. Dr. Fred, Dr. Fred Moss, has served in the mental health industry, having consulted with patients, practitioners, medical facilities, nonprofit organizations, and community groups for over 40 years. As a non-diagnosing psychiatrist, he is committed to shifting the conversation of mental illness on a global scale. Dr. Fred is the author of Creative Eight, Healing Through Creativity and Self-Expression, He is also the founder of Welcome to Humanity, which is an organization and podcast that directly addresses the conversations of disorders, diagnosis, prescriptions, treatments, methodologies, and all topics related to mental health. He is also working on Global Madness, an exciting film project that explores how mental illness and mental health are managed in various diverse areas of our planet. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fred. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me, Gretchen. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, as am I. So that was a pretty impressive bio for you. Mm. But tell us, how did you become the undoctor? <laughs> it's funny, you know, that's a really, you know, sometimes I get asked a question like that, but not often that direct. So let's talk <laughs> a little bit about that. It's like, you know, I get to really look back at, yeah, that's a good question. When did I become the undoctor and why did I, why did that happen? And it, you know, you could say that it happened even before I went into medical school. But, you know, I came to the planet in order to uh, communicate and c- have a conversation or two and connect people to each other. Uh, I was born into a family in a fair amount of chaos and disarray. And I had two brothers, 10 years and 14 years older than me, and my two parents who apparently weren't getting along very well. And little Freddie was going to be the bundle of joy that brought them connected again. So I've really had a full-time job since I arrived in this idea of, you know, creating proper conversations or joy or connections or having people harmonize and resonate with each other in order to heal them. And it really has been a full-time job since the first second I got here. So we'll fast forward a little bit. You know, I was looking to communicate through school. I was looking to learn how to be a master communicator. And I felt I thought that that's what school was going to be about. Even when I went to kindergarten, I was already a bit precocious. I knew how to read and I knew how to write and I knew how to uh, do simple math and stuff. But my friends, you know, in kindergarten, they didn't know any of that. They just knew how to throw blocks and, you know, um, pick their nose and stuff. And I I wanted to do that, too. But I also wanted to read Henry Huggins. So I could tell that communication wasn't going to happen in kindergarten. But I thought maybe in the later years, you know, late, late elementary school or right. junior high or high school. And, you know, when I got to those places, that communication wasn't really being driven forward in those areas. In fact, it was being constricted and contracted. And, you know, you were just told to sit down and do what the professor told you to do and do it exactly as he told you to do it, he or she. And if you did so, then you were allowed to pass into the next level. And so I got pretty good at that, but not, you know, not at very good in the classroom, as all of us know, as far as open discord. I went to University of Michigan. Same thing happened. It was uh, really uh, more or less a contraction uh, inside the classroom. So I dropped out and I came back, you know, I came back after a year and a half of finding myself some good work that I did in Berkeley, California. And uh, I thought I'd get a job in the uh, up and coming field of computers. And um, the only computer in Michigan was at the University of Michigan. So I went there. And uh, again, same thing happened. I was just like, this isn't, this isn't what I want to do. Okay, now we get to the point of how I became the undoctor because I got a job. My mom said, okay, you can, you can drop out again. That's fine, but you got to get a job. I was sworn that I would never go back to school at all. And uh, there was a couple applications out there waiting for me. One of them was at the, uh, the unemployment office. I could have been an unemployment officer. Or another one was uh, working with children in a state mental hospital. And I took that one. It was coming sooner. And uh, I started doing that. And all of a sudden, I was communicating, you know, and getting paid for it. And I actually had a job where communication and connection, as I already knew, were at the heart of all healing. With these, uh, we'll call them children, but really, they were just other human beings six or seven years younger than me. 
The thing I hated about that job, Gretchen, was the way psychiatry was treating those kids. Uh, you know, we would call the psychiatrist and uh, tell him that Timmy was up too late or Johnny and Jimmy had gotten into a fight. And he'd come down and he'd, you know, essentially talk to Jimmy for like three seconds mm-hmm. and then talk to us for like seven seconds and then write an order in the chart. And then we'd have to go find him and, and you know, hold him down in the quiet room and, you know, yank on his, the hip of his uh, sweatpants. And then jam them full of an injection of a of adult grade, you know, antipsychotic schizophrenic medication, and maybe a couple other medications. And if he didn't speak for the next twelve or twenty four hours, we'd call that a success. I just found that to be so barbaric. And by the way, Gretchen, that's still happening. You know, it's happened right. uh, tens of thousands of times today already. Yeah, like that's not new. That's that's not something that, that that's not rare. That's not back then. That's right now. No, I know. And it, and I understand that. It's just, a sh- I hate to hear that. I know. We hate to hear it. That's why they leave it in closed doors and you can't visit. So right. I was so, so appalled by that, that I made it my business to go back to school one last time and learn how to be a doctor where I could bring communication and connection into the heart of the matter. My brother was already a psychiatrist, so I knew I could do it. And so I went back to school and 13 years later, I was a psychiatrist and, and no time did I stop being a childcare worker. So during those 13 years, I moonlighted as a childcare worker the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I came out, you know, but in the meantime, Prozac had been introduced to the world and Prozac was as much a paradigmatic shift as anything that's going on in the present day. Let me say that. Right. It really changed everything. It was biological psychiatry all of a sudden. It was chemicals imbalances all of a sudden. And you know who was responsible for delivering medicine? Which uh, profession? Well, of course, it was psychiatry. So now I was actually doing that, which I promised I would never do. And I did that for uh, years and years. You know, I diagnosed people, which I didn't want to do. And I then medicated people, which I doubly didn't want to do. This only worked for, you know, I did it because I'm a doctor. And what do you want? You know, that's my job and type. But my, you know, speak of spirituality, it was the ultimate soul sacrifice to be that duplicitous. So in 2006, I decided to change my mind. And because I couldn't live with myself, Gretchen, it was really a matter of not being able to live with myself. I've had 40,000 patients in my, you know, who have at least called me a doctor, their doctor for a second or two in their life, you know, given nursing homes and emergency rooms and all that. And I just decided I'd do something different, which is what I wanted to do in the first place, which is I just took out, you know, my low risk patients and started taking them off of medications. And lo and behold, they got way better, like reliably way, 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 way better. I was like, wow, this is an interesting finding. So I kept on doing it and, you know, kind of the people who were ready to have that done in my practice, we did it. Then again, reliably, people got way better. Not only did their, did they get better off their medicines, but in many and most cases, their actual initial diagnosis just disappeared. You could say that that was my true voice moment, or you could say that when I started being the undoctor, but it took a while because that field is so entrenched in conventional thinking, of course, you know, it's a very, very high powered field inside of medicine. And uh, in order for me to start doing that on a regular basis, I would have to back out carefully and gracefully, which I have to tell you with with the grace of higher power and all sorts of luck and fortune, I was able to do. And uh, when I started backing out in 2016, 17 and 18, most recently, um, I, I really there was nothing left to do but just inject creativity and connection at the heart of all healing and realize that these medications were often perpetuating the symptoms they're marketed to treat or in more, case, you know, more um, unfortunate cases were actually causing symptoms that they were marketed to treat. And it wasn't the medicine's fault. You know, it's not the medicine's fault. It's not the doctor's fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's just a system that's built that way. Right. But when I began being the undoctor, which is a, a moniker that I got from a friend a few years ago, you know, he's like, Fred, you're, you're the undoctor. I was like, wow, thanks for that branding. You know, he's like, yeah, that'll be $10,000. I'm like, no, man, I'll just, you know, I'll buy you lunch. He go, okay, that's fine. So I became the undoctor because what I really started realizing is what I like doing more than anything is giving people back their lives, which is why I came into the world, right? You remember that story. Right. And it's a matter of being the undoctor, meaning undiagnosing. No, no, no. Look, wait, let me make it very clear to your audience. If we have somebody there who's really happy with their diagnosis and their treatment inside the conventional psychiatric system, and they're going to argue that they have their illness and that, you know, they finally figured it out and now they got a treatment that's working, by all means, more power to you. And I mean it. I'm not putting you down or looking down at you or disagreeing with you. Like, great for you. Anytime in the world you find something that works, great for you. Great, 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 great. 
This is not for you. This is for the hundreds of thousands, or should I say millions or tens of millions of people who are pretty sure that their system is not being treated at, at the highest level and that they've been either misdiagnosed or not diagnosed or diagnosed too many times and uh, or are taking medicines that are they're sure are either making them worse or certainly not making them better. Because when right. we unmedicate and we un- uh, diagnose and then we undoctrinate. Uh, you know that's a word I made up, Jamie. Um, it, it, what we do is we step people away from the whole system of feeling sick and get them back to their own humanity, which went aligned with spirituality and you know nutrition and um, you know mindfulness and, and service and creativity and you know pampering oneself and taking care and you know loving and being graceful accepting compassionate forgiving all those really high powered high vibrational activities that us humans have at our disposal guess what happens gretchen i think you know people heal right people yep. heal gretchen people with really really crazy sort of diagnoses guess what happens to them they heal they do gretchen that's what happens it's like that easy it's not yes. easy it's not so easy question yeah. for you. Yeah. You said that you began with your, I guess, less severe clients, right? Right. Lower and, risk, I call it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And what other items did you integrate into their life? That's great. So the first thing we, we integrated was we're going to start with the fact that you and I are both humans. It's a level playing field. I don't have anything more than you that we, we, we kind of annihilated as best we could the power gradient between doctor and patient. Right. We start looking that really we're two humans trying to figure out what this next step is who have no idea what's coming around the corner. Yes. It's really an important place to start because the system is built in this power gradient of doctor patient or, you know, a, a teacher student or, you know, a, a authority client, et cetera. And that power gradient is insurmountable once it's established. But in the world of healing, in order to give someone back their true power, a level playing field is, I find, uh, very desirous but, and maybe even required. So we would start there and really get that we're working on this together and we're maybe even detoxifying. So what I, you know, people think, well, yeah, but they're sick. What are you supposed to do? Well, actually, the sickness they have isn't, is frequently not a sickness. Even if you're depressed or you're anxious or you're fearful or you're you're sad or you're nervous or you're, um, you know, maybe you have insomnia or you feel scattered or aimless or hopeless or helpless, all those negative vibration feelings. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that you're sick in any way. Not at all. Frankly, that might be the exact proper response to the world that's going on around you. So when we start getting that you're a human being and, you know, having a spiritual experience or what I read today, which is that you're a spiritual being having a human experience, which I yes. really like. <laughs> I love that. I heard that today. I thought, oh, that's good for Gretchen. I'm, I'm going to bring I saw that on Facebook and thought I'd bring it your way. Yes. Um, you know, when you get that, then you then what we get is the thing that I think really spans the gap here is this world of creativity and self-expression. And that's where Creative 8 really pops out of. That's where that book pops out of. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, born to, we're born as creative. Just to live through another second in this world takes massive creativity. We think it's all just hum-ho, you know, like ho-hum, like, you know, just do what you do. But actually, you have to sort out so much just to take the next five seconds on. You have to yes. decide what you're going to pay attention to. You have to decide what you're going to do or not do. You have to, you know, figure out how you're going to stand, how you're going to, you know, get fed, how you're going to breathe, who you're going to talk to, where you're going to, you know, la, da, 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 da. There's so much creativity in every second of life. But when we can actually step that forward and become creators from anew, you know, through art or singing or dancing or cooking or writing or gardening, when we can come, you know, creative through, um, drama or photography or uh, cleaning or any, there's many ways that we're, you know, poetry where we're really called on to be creative. It's amazing what happens when we stop using simply our voice to attempt to communicate with each other in an outward fashion. And finally, the real, well, not a real magic ingredient in what's here is to listen. You know, listening is just as much a critical speed, critical part of, um, of speaking or of communicating as speaking is. And you could even say that listening is more critical than speaking. 
Um, and you can't get in trouble if all you're doing is listening. So there's a little break there. You can't say something that's going to get you like insulting people or you can't get in trouble if all you're doing is listening to someone, even if you can't stand what they're saying. So listening gives you a real access to what's being called for in the relationship that you're in and maybe what the person that you're with is really trying to say or bring out or, or discuss with you. And so listening is super critical. And when we started shifting this to the human nature aspect, the things that little Freddie knew by the time he entered kindergarten and still knows to be what's true, well then, guess what happened, Gretchen? We started People healing. healed. Really, I they really did. I love that. Yeah. So, Dr. Fred, what the heck is going on in the world right now with all of our children coming up ADHD or they all they all have a label that okay all is a huge broad no, brush I close should enough, not have used. close enough I hear you are we having a disconnect with communication in our households what what in mm -hmm. the world or is it just that we have so many different drugs available and people are only committed you know I can only have 15 minutes with this patient so I'll write them a prescription yeah that's a great question. Thanks for asking. It's very sensitive. And for those of you with children, I'm going to be very careful about this. I have two kids. I, 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 I you know, and I've been around, I'm child and adolescent psychiatrist board, you know, board eligible for that and took a fellowship. So I've been, I like working with kids, as I've said, you know, in the state hospital, that's what got me. Yeah. That's what got me motivated to do this work. So, you know, what's happening. It's not like these kids have ADHD. It's like someone, it's like, look, you, if you interview these kids, I, here's what I have to say. If you actually interview these children before they start their medicine and get their diagnosis, you know what? You're going to find a, a wickedly fascinating soul. Right. They are onto something. They are onto something, in fact, that is so obvious that it can't be heard. So sometimes these kids who are scattered and not, you know, they're not, no, I'm not looking at that blackboard with junk on it and telling you what that is. I got better things to do, like figuring out what my friend uh, wants or looking at this butterfly that's in the room or, or, you know, getting up and going to talk to uh, uh, that person over there or learning, um, you know, learning how to climb a tree or, you know, those kinds of things that often get mistaken for ADHD because a child won't sit in a seat and watch a teacher deliver extraordinarily boring information down their throat. Now, mm -hmm. really, that's just being honest. And I look, I love teachers. I love teachers. I do. I, this isn't about the teachers. OK, I'm not putting down teachers at all. I can't I can't underline that enough. This is not about putting down teachers. Right. But it is about saying, asking kids to sit still and then regurgitate what you say. And if they don't do that, calling them sick is a extremely, extremely twisted uh, assessment tool. Extremely twisted. Mm -hmm. But since almost anyone fits that mold, right? It's like if you're really boring up front or if you're really non-compassionate, if you're really unconnected, if you're really trying to drive silly stuff down a kid's mind who really just wants to learn how to be heard and really wants to learn how to create a social network and really wants to learn how to, uh, you know, li how to listen or, or uh, how to communicate or how to be creative. If you're really trying to drive stuff down that kid's throat instead and, and he's not listening, he or she's not listening, and then you call him ADHD and then you go get him a medicine that leaves him stuporous or even capable of doing what you say. And now you call him better. There is some inherent, ludicrous, ineffective, twisted evaluation tools involved in that. In that. And so almost every child can fit the mold of ADHD, especially if they tell the teacher no a few times. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not sitting in my seat. Oh, that's cool. You're going to a doctor tomorrow. Really? What's a doctor? Oh, you'll come back in a week on Adderall and we'll talk about what a doctor is. And these days, it's not even a week, Gretchen. It's like three months before you get that first assessment because doctors are backed up forever because there's children in line to get their first medications as soon as possible because teachers and families are blaming the children for issues of communication that really are not the children's space. And look, I'm telling you, once you got a kid on those medicines, if in fact they're... <laughs> Oh, Gretchen, how'd you get me to speak to this? If well, they, if it, they, it, I'm, I had to bring it up because this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart because I, I have some that I, you know, really adore some little ones that mm -hmm. are on these meds. Yeah. 
And I, I know. know so many of them. And now you just touched on Adderall, which is mm. another just concerta, hot. concerta Adderall bivans. Every yeah. yes, I mean I I managed thousands of adults over thirty years, thousands. Yeah. And I know several of them were on Adderall. It's like, oh, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> what it, the freak is going on here? Yeah. Well, that medication is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's got massive street value. So if you, uh, for the people who aren't on it, they can actually make a living on a month's worth of a, do- a month's worth of a prescription. So 60 Adderall will get you 1200 bucks in the street. So that's kind of good. You know, you can, you can do that. <laughs> um, but that's a whole, I, I, maybe... I'm just teasing, but in some ways I'm not teasing. You see, there are some people doing that. You think Adderall in the streets, you know where it came from. It came from somebody's prescription. Right. It didn't come from the streets. You you can't grow Adderall, right? Adderall is from the excess prescription somewhere. Someone decided, yeah, making 20 bucks a pill is better than me giving it to my child. So you got that. Now, here's the thing. If these medications and stimulants included are actually perpetuating or causing the symptoms or marketing to treat such that the child gets a little bit, seems to get a little bit better for a couple hours and then gets way worse than they were even before they had their first Adderall, um, then you get more Adderall at that point. And a lot of people are taking, you know, slow release Adderall in the morning and then uh, fast release in the afternoon and maybe even a bump in the evening before they, you know, as they get home because supposedly they're having you know, the symptoms uh, relapse in the afternoon. So some people are on three or four doses a day. And that's because this medicine, among many of the other medicine, often causes spikes of the symptoms it's marketed to treat. Causes, causes, causes. Meaning, even if you didn't have ADHD and you started this medicine, you would have ADHD. That's what I'm talking about. And I have heard this about other drugs as well. So, yeah. Yeah. This blew my mind the first time I heard this. Yeah, it blows people's minds until you realize that what I'm saying is the first time that you've ever heard anything about these drugs that actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. It's, I don't want to get... It's not the drugs. It's not the drugs. But the pharmaceutical companies... It's not even the pharmaceutical companies. Okay. You listen, the system is built this way. Right. Just because a doctor tells a mom to give a kid a certain medicine, A, doesn't mean she has to do it. But B, what we have here, you know, you don't have to do it. You, you, you don't. There's nothing illegal about not, you know, you don't have oh, to do heck it. Yeah. yeah. If, the, if the doctor would say, give your child, you know, one and a quarter teaspoons of rat poison every morning, um, m- more than likely, most mothers wouldn't do that. Right. But we, we, the system is built to, A, diagnose our kids or ourselves and get that there's something wrong with us because mom is already upset that the teacher's reporting that Johnny can't sit still in the classroom. And mom doesn't want to look bad, you know, and mom wants to do everything she can to have Johnny be a, a, an effective student. I can't blame mom either. Until you get that it's the diet. I've looked at this so many hundreds of times, if not thousands, not maybe these days, every single day, which is this idea that that, you know. When you start blaming someone or calling someone diseased, afflicted, affected, you know, um, it, it disenfranchises, it diminishes, it it uh, de mm, delegitimizes people, right? And when that happens, when the child now says, "Oh, I thought I was just being me," and the world says, "No, you're being you," but you know the fact that you can't um, follow, you know, a, a history lesson, uh, you're sick, and so we're gonna we're gonna jam toxic medicines down your throat the rest of your life. Um, and he's like, "Okay." Thanks for telling me. I didn't know I was sick, you know, and now and now there's a cycle here. So that's the bad news. And it's 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 that's there's some bad news in there, but there's some really great news. And the great news is after looking at this for the hours and days, years, really, I've looked at it. The idea here is that the essence of the whole issue is that we start thinking there's something wrong with us and then we start really looking hard to fix us. In reality, perhaps there's nothing wrong at all with any of these people. 
Right. That it isn't about it being wrong. Right now. Now I got it. You know, Johnny, he's got trouble sitting down. So you have, you know what Johnny wants more than anything? Johnny wants to be heard. Yeah. Johnny wants to be listened to. Johnny wants to be loved and respected for his curiosity. Johnny wants to be a creative. He does. I promise. I swear. I promise. I don't even know Johnny right this moment. I guarantee he has every one of those qualities. Right. So let's try that first. Let's try that first. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Absolutely. Try yeah. Let's try it for real. Not like, you know, Johnny, why won't you learn about Benjamin Franklin? It's like, because uh, Benjamin Franklin doesn't fit in my worldview. Like, right. I want to know, you know, um, how to milk a cow. Or I want to know uh, how to talk to a friend. I want to learn how to listen. I want to learn how to communicate. I want to learn how to draw. I want to learn how to dance. I want to learn how to play the harmonica. Whatever. Right. Yes, I can relate to that, actually. I mean, I can remember, gosh, I think I must have been in about the third grade, just sitting in the classroom thinking this is the most boring information right. I've ever learned in my life. Exactly. And I'm daydreaming out the window looking at flowers and then thinking, well, maybe I have a little ADHD, which I don't even think it had that label at, at that time. But um, it, it was, it, you know, whatever was happening was not entertaining enough to me. And a lot of school was that way. And I managed to do pretty good considering. So, but it's interesting because nowadays people are really quick to label themselves, but it's almost as if that gives an excuse. Okay. So uh, the word excuse does, does uh, roll around me a few times. And so I've decided I don't like that word so much. So let me see if I can offer a better way to look at that. Um, an explanation. There. Much better. Because, look, we are fallible human beings. This idea of being human uh, it, 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 it's not, it's all cracked up to be, you know, we, we make, we make some ridiculous mistakes and then we make them over again. We, we hurt people. We don't stand up for ourselves. We don't, uh, we don't do what we said we were going to do. Uh, we say the wrong things. We, you know, we ignore or inadvertently or sometimes advertently, you know, we dismiss it. We, we do all sorts of stuff. Us humans, nothing I said, there's nobody out there and you're listening who doesn't relate to any of the things I just, that little small list I just gave. And we mm -hmm. all do it. Let's be honest. We all do it. Now, if I can get an explanation, because I hate when I do that. I don't know about you, but yes, I do. You do too. We all hate when we do that. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, I am such a jerk. Wow, I am such a fool. Wow, I am incorrigible. I am, you know, blah, blah, blah. I am whatever painful adjective you want to put in there or a painful descriptor. If I then can get an explanation for why I'm that, that disconnects that from me, I'm in. I'm, I'm so in. That means mm -hmm. I won't have to blame myself anymore. That means I won't have to take on the shame and the guilt of being the fool that I really am. And so if you tell me, hey, Fred, uh, that's not you anymore. That's actually, you look like bipolar to me. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> I, you mean I can actually write this off to bipolar? Yep. Oh, cool. So the next time I'm ridiculous with my kids, when I sit them down later at dinner and try to deal with it, I'll let them know that it was not me, my bipolar kicking in. Yeah. And we'll all be happy. Mom has bipolar. Dad has bipolar, whatever. And uh, it's an unfortunate circumstance that I got to grow up with someone with mental illness, but at least we have an explanation because underneath it all, mom would have been flawless, except she has a psychiatric diagnosis. So the system is beautiful. Right. It is gorgeous. There is, oh my God. <laughs> Diabolical as it might be, if you start assessing and you know pointing fingers at what the problematic aspects of it are, in its construction, it's wickedly, in incredibly, exceptionally beautiful. Right. I wish I would have designed it. Right. If I would have designed it, I'd be living in the hills somewhere. I wish I would have designed it. You know. Yeah, it's it's incredible, isn't it? 
It is. Oh my goodness. So the reality of it is, is look, we all feel a little down sometimes. We, you or know, even a lot down, even a lot down. Lot. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest and I'll be the first one to say, I think seasonal, you know, affective, affective disorder, disorder is, is, yeah. Yeah. Seattle, you Seattle people have that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but I also know, oh, okay, you know, winter's coming, and Gretchen might get a little down, and so yeah. maybe you know, maybe it's time to book a vacation to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Again, you know, I'd even be careful about calling it seasonal affective disorder, right? It's the disorder part that I have trouble with. Mm-hmm. You can get when it's rainy, cloudy, and you haven't seen the sun in a while, your mood tends to go down. That's okay. But to call it a disorder is not okay in my world. I like it. It's that. not a disorder. It's not a syndrome. It's not an illness. It's not a disease. It's just what happens. Yeah. It's just what happens. You don't see the sun for a while. You get, you get down. Okay. And guess what? So would I. So does everyone. So Seattle, if, it's, you know, if, you're in, if you're in Puget Sound and you're just not getting it, okay. I, I, I totally get it. So... You want your mood not to be down? There are things you can do. You want to book a trip to Mexico? Great idea. You know, you want to, um, you know, there's other things you can do if if you don't, or you could actually, there's other ways to be not down too. You know, you can, you can be of service or you can do this creative eight exercises. You can, you can find ways to speak to your depression and even speak to the truth of it. You can volunteer, uh, you know, you can volunteer and be of service in so many places, um, or maybe you can just speak the truth about, you know, what you had been calling SAD, which is really just seasonal affective, maybe disturbance, you know, or, or uh, contribution. But in reality, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing disordered at all about the fact that our mood goes down when we don't see the sun for a while. Right. It's not disordered. That's called, that's called good for you. Thanks for, thanks for being human. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't need to run right out and take a pill for it. Oh, no, there no. Please, are don't. So, Please don't. Yes. There are so yeah. many other alternatives. And that's what I love about you being the undoctor. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there is. And, and, you know, the alternatives are not even hard. And let me underline again what I said before, because it's really important. It sometimes gets misheard. You can imagine in 2006, when, I, when all these people started getting better, I was like, uh-oh, what am I going to do with this information? Right. How am I going to bring this into the world? Do I have to quit and become a barista? <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm 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 open for that. If someone's got a really good coffee shop, I'm I'm so <laughs> down with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've had enough already, and I, I had enough when I when I you know the truth is when I took that job in 1980 uh, at Fairlawn Center, my intention was to keep that job for exactly three weeks. Because that's how long orientation lasted. And I was getting paid like 13 bucks an hour. And I was, you know, 13 times 40 is like 500 bucks. And three $500 checks would be enough to buy me a car so that I could, you know, go drive around the country, go back to Berkeley or something and figure out what my life was about. But it was that fourth week where I was seduced into going up to the unit and began talking. And I remember the first, I actually remember the names and, and the stories of the first few kids I began talking to that week. And uh, where I really started getting, oh, this is kind of fun. Uh, th this is more than kind of fun. Like we're both healing each other by being connected. And so I bring up that three week thing because I decided with the help of my friend, Paul, you know, Paul's like, Fred, you can't quit. I'm like, dude, I'm quitting after orientation. He's like, no, you need to come up. I, I, cause if you quit, I'll have to quit. I'm like, oh, oh, so he got me that way. Right. So I came up with him and I said, okay, I'll stay for three more weeks. You know why I was staying for three more weeks? So that I could get three more paychecks and buy a nicer car to drive around the country and figure out what my life was about. That's the only reason I went up to the floors. <laughs> so for 42 years, I've been planning on quitting for three week, in three weeks. We're 42 years later, now 2022. And uh, yeah, I'm going to quit in three weeks, Gretchen. And and. Just as, you know what I'm going to do in three weeks? I'm going to buy me a car. I'm going to drive around the country and figure out what my life is about. I'm still there. I'm 64 years old. I got the same dreams. It's just I got stuck in this I'm going to quit in three weeks cycle. That's <laughs> All right. We better get working on that. <laughs> I know. It's, I really do need to put in my two, three weeks notice here pretty soon. Right. 
Ah, mm-hmm. But you know, that's what we're all doing is we're just all trying to figure out what we want to do with the rest of our lives. A exactly. lot of us. And then unfortunately, some it, some people get so stuck in that rut that it causes them to be what they think is depression yeah. or they just, you know, they get antsy and they can't see straight. And yeah. Yeah, but we're all just trying to do our best. Well, now, you see, those last two things you said, we're all just trying to figure out what we're doing for the rest of our lives, and we're all just trying to do our best. You said that, and there's other things that I'm sure you would say if I would have left you more time. Here's the thing. Just bring that to every conversation. Yeah. And when you talk about healing, when you talk about that guy over there who's got bipolar, who's been on medicine for 44 years, or that guy over there who's got ADHD who, you know, can't sit still and, uh, you know, get, you know, punch the teacher one day. Or you got, you know, whatever, you know, the guy with depression who's been in and out of the hospital with uh, involuntary admissions. Mm-hmm. What you really want to get is that that's what that that's what that person's trying to do, too. Right. That's what they're trying to do, too. They're trying to figure out what their life is about. Yeah. They really are. I I know people call up, yeah, what about the guy who shot up the school in Texas? Look, I'm not, I'm, first of all, how, how horribly, 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 horribly unfortunate and terrible that is. But if we could set aside something for a second, I guarantee that 18 year old kid who did that, I'll tell you, he wanted to be heard. I'm not saying that if we would have heard him, he wouldn't have done that. I'm, I don't mean to, I please, 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 audience, understand that I feel the pain of that. I am a dad. I have treated kids. I, I am not diminishing the impact of such a horrendous action. Right. But I can tell you that the person who did it wanted to be heard. Mm-hmm. I promise. I promise. And somewhere along the line was pretty sure that he wasn't being heard, as most of us are. Right. And that's kind of where I wanted to actually the conversation to go to is just Mm -hmm. the fact that there is a lot of that going on in our world and in our country. And um, it's a shame because honestly, I feel like where technology has evolved to and how the world has evolved, especially in our country, we seem to be more disconnected, even though we can connect 24 seven through our phones if we want to, but we are not listening to people. We are not present in the moment with people. Yeah. Yeah. It is sad, isn't it? Let's start there. Yeah. It let's is just sad. Stop, let, let's just stop right there for a second before I pretend to have a good answer for you. Can we cry together? If I can conjure up a tear. Yeah, right? Yes. Can we hug? Can we hold each other's hand and look at this? Very true. Can you be devastated? Can you own your devastation? Can you be just grievous? Can you own your grief? That's called welcome to humanity. Yeah. I'm not sitting here as the authority of how to make the human race a bunch of angels. I'm not. I don't got any. I don't got any. I don't have the inside track on that one. Sorry. No, but what you touched on was beautiful because there is so much going on in the world, whatever it is. It could just be trying to get to school in the morning or try, you know, trying to get mm-hmm. home from work at night. Yeah. That we don't take the time to pause and grieve and feel our feelings and, you know, have a tear or two. We don't. No. We just keep it moving. Let me ask you a question, Gretchen, because I think we just walked through a really loving space. In those few seconds when I was asking you to, you know, can you pause and get your pain? Mm -hmm. How did you feel when I was giving you that space? Isn't there something just deeply grounding and healing instantaneously as you explore that? Instantaneous. There really is. First of all, because nobody's asked me to do anything like that. Maybe ever come to think of it. I, mm-hmm. I do that on my own, which brings me to, I think that other people probably do too. And if we don't do that on our own, then we never do. And we have our, it just, you know, emotions are just stuffed down. Mm-hmm. 
But that's probably the most healing thing that I've I've heard and was asked to do in years. And by the way, I'm I'm talking to you from Texas. And it's really sad because the Uvalde situation has been, you know, in the forefront of the mind and um, something that my husband and I talk about. And um, it's really sad because we just keep it moving. And I think even out of my mouth, which I know better, is words that come out like, I think that we're being becoming, becoming immune to some of these tragedies. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. And we, we really do need to process this. Yeah. So. <laughs> the immunity is also an experience that's undeniable. Yes. Uh, you know, um, you know, we can't even keep our school shootings straight anymore. Right. Yeah. Yes. We, and we have no idea which one you're talking. Which one you're talking about? How many kids died in that one? You know, it's like, you know. Right. Well, and as, as a, yeah. as a matter of fact, I said I was from the Pacific Northwest. I'm actually from, originally, from Springfield, Oregon, which is where one of the very first school shootings took place. Mm-hmm. And when I was recently just talking about the situation that happened here in Texas, I was talking to my husband, which we met in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, one of the first uh, shootings took place at the high school that I actually graduated from. Now, granted, it was probably, I don't know, 10 years after I graduated. I really sure. don't know. Sure. Um, and he's like, what was that? You know, because we've had so many, because this has become so frequent that we don't even know what's happening or when or recall. Mm-hmm. It's common day. Yeah. Okay. So that leads me to a question I want to ask you, which is how is the United States managing mental health differently than some of the top, I want to say top performing countries, but um, I think you get the gist of what I'm trying to ask. Some of the, maybe the the healthier or, how are right. they managing their mental health different from us? <laughs> and what can we do differently? And can it start in the homes? And can it start now? <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Okay, good. I just asked you a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's really the same question. I got it. And, 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 and you know, in me, in, in the world is, is that it's funny, you know, when I started doing Global Madness, the documentary, when I, you know, had a little team going before before the lockdown, um which right now is kind of still on pause. Although I've heard every time people introduce me, they of course bring that up and I'm like, Oh yeah, I should get right on that now again. Um, the, uh, the countries like Norway, Rwanda, Zimbabwe, um, you know, rural Australia are doing things that are so seemingly odd and often would be considered woo woo by our Western self-righteous societies. Mm-hmm. Like there's a uh, there's a place in Rwanda where there's uh, there's six million the population six million they have three psychiatrists and uh, you know they're they're like okay what what are we gonna do so they they uh, have these things called uh, orange orange picnic benches and they house uh, grandmothers actual grandmothers bona fide grandmothers to sit on these benches all day and do whatever they do feed the birds or knit or whatever whatever grandmothers do in that situation. And if you're having a problem, you're allowed to go over there, no charge. You don't, you don't have to bill insurance or anything. You just go over there and have your conversation with grandma. That's it. Grandma I love listens. it. I love it. Fred, give happened? me an orange bench, please. I'll go sit yep. on one for a while. Yep. And guess what happens, Gretchen? Now that we've had a little pattern with this same answer. Well, I'm assuming that people will come over heal. and talk and they're fine. They're heal. They heal. Yes. They heal and no, no Prozac anywhere to be found. No, no Seroquel, no therapies, no diagnoses, just connection. At the heart of all healing, all human healing, all human healing, you will find connection. I love that. Of all conditions, of all types, you will find connection. And without connection, nothing will heal. And with connection, it becomes entirely possible. 
So that's one. There's another one who does this thing called, you know, in Australia, this guy, I'm just recalling. He has this thing called, I think it's called like, um, uh, it's not called surf therapy. It's called surf something where he gives, he teaches people how to surf in a two week period. Whatever your deal is, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're, you know, you're grieving, whatever your problem is, what you're, you're afraid, you're not eating well, whatever your deal is, you show up with him. And for two weeks, he just takes you out into the ocean and teaches you how to surf. I love that. Guess what happens in two weeks? The person's healing. Yeah. I, I, undo- you know, unquestionably. Yes. Unquestionably. So what are people doing different than the United States? They're actually treating people like humans. And the only way to do that is to be human yourself. You can't treat anyone like a human if you think you're above it all. Right. Or if you think you're below it all. But you know what you can do. You can get, oh, I'm human. I sometimes think I'm above it all. And other times I think I'm below it all. That's called being human. Mm -hmm. I'm human. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Now, how do we do that? Well, the way that we do that is just drop your guns. Start listening. That kid over there has got ADHD, supposedly, which he doesn't. But anyways, he's been told he does. So he will now forever. That kid. You know what he wants to be done? He wants to be heard. I promise you. Right. So when you listen to him like he's never been heard before. I know it's becoming kind of repetitive, but guess guess what will happen to him? It's going to hell. <laughs> You'll see a smile like you've never seen. I've I've been lucky enough to see hundreds of those smiles in my life. You know where someone's like, "Wow, no one's ever hurt me." Even in fact, just with you, a little bit ago, you know, it's asking you a question you've not really taken on. A simple question. Stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Stop. You want to be honest about this stuff? It's freaking ludicrous. It's totally insane. It's so simple. So it's simple. completely being overlooked. Exactly. It's that simple that it's always overlooked. And in fact, it looks like it's, it looks like, it sounds like it's an unevolved approach. Right. I maintain that is the only approach that can work. Yeah. Now, for the third time in this conversation, with all honest due respect, any of your listeners who are in touch with their psychiatric diagnosis and have a treatment and an intervention schedule that has actually worked and brought them out of the hole so that they wouldn't trade that in for the world because they know that's as good as it's going to get and they're happy with it, I'm honored to know you, and I even envy and admire you. Congratulations, and please don't stop doing what you're doing under any conditions. Right? If that's what you found, man, just... I don't have anything better than that. That's what I'm shooting for. Right. Right? So it's not for them. So, Dr. Fred, if there is somebody listening that's on some of the medications or they have a diagnosis... um, Mm -hmm. Anyhow, perhaps especially if they are on a medication, we're not saying give it up tomorrow. No, no, no. No, they need to work with their provider, hmm. right? Well, it's a little trickier than that. And that's that's where I come in as the undoctor. Unfortunately, it's trickier than that because providers are never really taught about how to discontinue medicines. I was never taught that. You know, All I was taught was how to add, increase, or change medicines. And in discontinuing medicines, you want to shock the world. It's when I start telling people that I, like you, you know, you're like, ho, 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 you stop medicine, but what did you replace it with? Right. That's the average, you know, so it, it sounds like discontinuing medicines is the riskiest thing to do and like could lead to a malpractice suit because people are like worried that if you stop medicine and someone does something stupid, then you're going to be blamed for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So people don't really do that. They don't because it does happen. You know, it does happen. So. What you want to do, is the providers are not typically prepared to stop medicines. They're mostly prepared to add, increase, or change your medicine, meaning add a new medicine, increase the dose of the present medicine, or change to a different medicine. 
But are they also introduce you know this concept of weaning, which is really less than a, about a decade old, really, that it's now being applied to all medicine, which is a really hilarious way to come off a of medicine because the longer you wean, the more likely you are to you know slip on a banana peel and blame the medicine for that. Right, right. You're like you know you're coming off a of medicine, you run over your cat, and you're like, right. holy cow, I never I never ran over my cat when I was on my full dose. Yeah. And so I'm going back to my other medicine. I, you know, and then you start telling a story. Yeah, I started coming off medicine and then I ran over my cat. And I thought, hell, I'm not coming off medicine anymore. And I got back on my medicine. I'm never going to come off. So the longer we take a weaning schedule, the more likely it is that you'll be cemented into whatever medicine you're trying to wean. So weaning is not always the right reason, the right way to go. So Here's where my coaching comes in. You know, this is why, you know, rapid restorative healing is what I call it. And this is where the undoctor comes in, where I no longer am your doctor when you work with me. I'm not your doctor. I'm your guide. We start looking at strategic plans on how to deal with your providers or how to deal with your diagnoses, how to deal with your present circumstances so that you can make an effort to actually an effort and a successful effort to actually decrease or eliminate your medicines, but more so to decrease or alter or in fact eliminate your diagnosis. This whole idea that there was anything wrong with you in the first place is what drives this whole thing. And that's what I'm saying is the good news. The good news is there is from the client perspective, a patient perspective, the recipient perspective, there is a way to get to like confidently that there's nothing wrong with me. And of course, if there's nothing wrong with me, really, and I can, you know, I and I can I can live life like there's nothing wrong with me, then I don't need any treatment to alter who I am. Because that's what all these treatments are geared towards, altering who you are, which um, last time I looked, there's no one who's ever been able to alter who they were. Mm. Everyone is who they are. Right, right. Great point. I mean, you're, you're who you are. That's the way it is. Yeah. You want to be some? Yeah. You want to be someone else? It's, uh, sorry, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you are you. <laughs> and I guess this is a good point uh, in an area to go ahead and talk about uh, information I have here that says that you're now offering a 30 minute consult. Mm-hmm. And that usually costs about $200. So that sounds like a heck of a deal. So if anyone's interested in working with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, I'm looking for, you know, I, for a while there, I was just doing the high ticket items and the high ticket items are great. You know, I do, you know, intensive work with people who can afford intensive work and we can do this in, you know, one to three months. We can really walk you through the whole system and they're there. And maybe that'll be for, for some people, but what we're looking at here in the, in the, um, free consultation. I now have developed so many ways, you know, from the true voice technology, I teach people uh, how to find their true voice. And then I generally use podcasting as the broadcasting mechanism to get that done. So, you know, really helping people get their true voice, their authentic message out to a world that's eager, interested, willing, ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. So that's a true voice aspect. And then we use the creative aid as well. But really what I'm doing at this point is exploiting the 42 years and 40,000 patients and hundreds of thousands of medications written, by the way, and um, and not necessarily proudly, but just true. Um, there, there's a, a, Because I know the system as well as I do, because I am um, you know, pretty well versed in how each, most of the certain uh, intersections of the system work. I can really help people to maybe even turn on their providers to the possibility that uh, that improvement is available. Because most providers, if you're about the same as you were last time, everyone's happy. That should right. not that should not be what you're looking for. That's not the gold standard there. Not at all. <laughs> not that we're looking for. <laughs> not what we're looking for. But that's considered a really clean visit. Right. Uh, how are you doing? I'm I'm not worse. Oh, great. Right. And I'm laughing and I apologize because it's really not funny, but it just goes to show you how backwards our system is. Right. No, we're not shooting for better. In mental illness, we're not shooting for better. We're shooting for containment or slowing down deterioration. Yeah. And I'm saying that better, in fact, optimization is available for uh, all people who are ready to take that on. 
So the consultation will discuss where you're at and which level of entry might be important to you, whether it's group coaching, individual coaching, rapid restorative healing, um, or coming in as a, a new podcaster, you know, or, or the creative eight. Like we'll talk about where you are and how I can be useful, if at all. And if I can't be useful, I probably know a place where I can send you. So I start getting that my services are, are you know, pretty unique. I, I'm, there might be others out here doing it, but not with this kind of experience. It's a rare, it's a rare bird, frankly, that has 40,000 patients and is out here speaking this stuff. Right. So the idea is, is that because I know the system, I'm really curious and interested in what your experience is. And then we create a program from there. And that's why I decided, you know, for my podcasting listeners uh, to offer a free consultation so that we can really access what's being called for and how I or someone I know or, or a system that I know can provide that directly. Last I look, we get one chance at this thing called life. Exactly. Uh, so, and it's, not, and, and the future is not, you know, if we don't figure out how to be aligned with ourselves, like right about yesterday, um, the future, it's looking kind of grim. Right. We uh, really need to change the direction that we're going. Yeah. Like, like write this, like maybe like, uh, pronto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, the beauty of it is that we have the power in our own hands. We just we need do. to take the steps to do it. We do. We yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today because I think this really needed to be heard. And I have wonderful links available for the listeners to... Let me give one more link because I, the book I wrote this, somehow we bypassed this or we didn't get to it. The book I wrote this year is really, I really love this book. I actually really like reading it. I've read it a few times. I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Oh, that's me. Like that, I really like it. <laughs> uh, it's called findyourtruevoicebook.com. And I will send a free copy of the actual book to any of your listeners. Um, it's a cool book. And it really takes a deeper dive into what I'm talking about here and what's at the heart of the matter. It's an easy read. And it really is something that my, uh, the people who are reading it are you know, giving me pretty solid feedback that it's changing their lives. So it's my pleasure to send that to your listeners as well. And that's at findyourtruevoicebook.com. Uh, and then you'll have, I think, uh, my acuity schedule. Uh, or you can go to welcometohumanity.net um, and book a consultation with me as well, in which case uh, I'll be right there. And we'll, we'll talk and see what, what we can offer. Wonderful. Yes. And I will have links to all of this in the show notes. And I have to say that welcometohumanity.com, is it .com or .net? It's .net. Thanks for asking. .net. Yeah. Okay. So very important, .NET, beautiful comments on there, all kinds of rave reviews. And mm -hmm. I just really like the concept of Welcome to Humanity. And by the way, I just want to put this back out there for the listeners. You have the podcast as well with a lot of great information on it. I do. My podcast, you know, my podcast, I've had interviewed some of the greatest people. And I even have others in back in backwash here that I can't wait to publish, but I've been very lucky to be surrounded with great people and, you know, they make the, they make the diet, they make the, uh, the podcast great, but I guess I'm a pretty good interviewer for any thousand people later. And, uh, there are cool conversations really shining a light on uh, the spectacular nature of not just these awesome influencers, but of all of humanity, because that's really, as I mentioned, that's what I came here to do 64 years ago. And that's what I'm finally getting at least scratching the surface to be able to do. I love that. All right. Well, let's leave it right there then, Dr. Fred. Thank you so much for coming onto this earth and helping us all find our voice and communicate better. Thank, thank you, you. It's so been a much. Pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Hey, all. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Spiritual Life Management Podcast. I truly appreciate you for listening. If you would like more information on where to connect with Dr. Fred Moss, please read below in the show notes where you're listening to this episode. In addition, you will find his link to his free book and free consultation. If you're interested in connecting with me, your host, Gretchen Smith, please also look below in the show notes for additional links and information. You can find me at Instagram at Gretchen Smith Coaching for more inspirational information, quotes, and inspiring daily tips. Additionally, you can email me at GretchenSmithCoaching at gmail.com if you're interested in working with me. 
If you found this episode helpful and useful and you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified when future episodes release. Additionally, help us reach more listeners by liking this episode. Or if you feel that someone else might benefit from this episode, please hit the share button. Again, I truly appreciate you listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. Namaste. Please note, all information in this episode was for educational and empowerment purposes only.